chapter, uh, taking a peek at the uh, principles of one another. Before we begin, it's always our custom to start with a word of prayer to be sure we're ready to consider God's word. It's time to put away the cares and the pressures and the problems and issues of the outside world because we come today to feed upon the word of God. So let's give it our complete attention and pray that the Holy Spirit will make it clear to us. And the older we get, that we'll be able to remember it. And more important than that, that we'll be able to use it wisely. Let's pray. (coughs) (coughs) Father, again, we're so blessed and privileged and honored to be able to come together in a free country and open up your word. Father, we are blessed every time we look into your word and we thank you so much for it, that you inspired it, you preserved it, you brought it down to this time frame, and Father, that it's just as relevant today is the day that it was first penned. So Father, we pray that you would nourish our souls with it, that we can grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we ask it in his name, amen. this it'll warm up eventually sometimes I feel like a 45 minute class just gets my voice lubricated enough to to uh, speak but anyway we are looking at the divine institutions now the divine institutions are basically four things that's how we look at them that were established by the Almighty himself as uh, important, significant core beliefs of society. First of all, you have the ability to choose. Now, not the ability to choose perfectly, but you have the perfect ability to choose that he gave you when he created us in his image. Now, creating us in his image and giving us this ability to choose, he gave us the also the responsibility for our decisions now that's where freedom lies but today all of these divine institutions are under massive attack the uh, prince of the power of the air is at work and he basically says you're not responsible for any decision and so you're just a product of your environment Uh, it's environmental determinism evolutionary thought and so therefore you're not responsible so you can go do anything you want to and it's just fine because it's never your fault actually that's the first point of basically of narcissism how and self-love one of the uh, personality disorders that you find real easily if you start uh, looking so uh, volition the first one the second one is marriage we know that marriage is totally under fire uh, they're trying to do away with it altogether. They're trying to say that it's uh, unimportant, not needed, and everything else that goes along with it, trying to destroy it and tear down the institutions. And the institution of marriage, whenever uh, the Lord made Adam and then he built Eve out of the side of Adam and he brought her to him, he established the first marriage. He established it uh, quite well, quite clearly. So. Anything that God does, Satan is going after. 
And we have to remember that. That's just what he does. The third thing is family. Now, that's where we are in our study of the divine institutions. He set up an established family. Whenever he told them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, he was talking to them about having families. And we see that that uh, started off. It uh, didn't work too well with the first one, Cain and Abel, but we do see that they started to multiply and fill the earth. And so the whole concept of a family was put in order. The fourth one is nation and national interest. And even in the millennial kingdom with Christ at the head, there will be nations. So those are the four things that he set up and established. Now, <clears throat> one of the important things that is so often overlooked is how do we learn to get along with each other? How do we do that? Uh, I've been a pastor for a long time and, and done a lot of premarital counseling, marital counseling, uh, a little bit of every kind of counseling that you can possibly imagine. And <clears throat> there are so many different um, methods, if you will, courses that you can go through that, that start here and, and go toward a desired end. And it's not that they're all bad. It's just why don't we use the Bible and let the Bible be our guide as to what we're supposed to do. When we get into the New Testament, we're all priests of God. We're all priests of God, male and female, neither male or female, Jew or Greek. We're one in Christ Jesus. And what does the New Testament give us for the church as to how we should get along with each other? Well, these are found in a series of principles <clears throat> that are taught as one another principles. That's the Greek word alelon. It means one another of the same kind. So here we are as human beings, one another of the same kind, and how should we get along? The fact that the word is used a hundred times in the New Testament tells us that it is not a minor thing. Now, when we used to, when I went to seminary and several of us were trained, when you're going to do a word study, if you're going to be honest and fair, you have to take that word and look up every single use of it. In fact, when we were given an assignment uh, going through seminary, we would be given a, a word to look up the word, track it through all of its context, and then find out basically what the root meaning of the word meant and how it all fit together so you could get a balanced view of a topic. If you want to look up anger, for example, there's a righteous anger. The Lord threw the money changers out of the temple and he's quite mad. He is going to come back one of these days and he's not happy about it. So there is a righteous anger that goes on, but most of it is unrighteous, an unrighteous anger. So you have to study the topic of anger to find out what is righteous and what is not righteous. And that's how you approach Scripture. Compare Scripture with Scripture and let it do the teaching for us. Now, in these principles, it's interesting that it breaks out where there are 27 principles of one another that build relationships out of the hundred uses. Some of them are mentioned multiple times. Now, when you study these and you put them together, what you do is get a topical study, you get a Bible study on how should we learn to get along with each other. What are the basic principles of learning to get along? Because the Lord wants us to unify, He wants us to come together. And so the first part of this that we've already looked at dealt with our attitudes. 
there's attitude, attitudinal adjustments we need to make concerning one another. <clears throat> and this part that we're going to look at today and start into a little bit later is one another's speech, which is love through communication. Because, see, that 27th one is kind of interesting because it's love one another. It's repeated multiple times in the New Testament. And in this love one another, you have all the other 26 that are basically manifestations of loving one another. Some specific examples of what it means to love one another. So we, we love one another through communication. Now, who are, we supposed to, who are we supposed to love? What are the two greatest commandments? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And these principles apply to us as we don't understand God. We love him anyway. We don't understand what he's up to. We love him anyway. And that's something that's not automatic. It's not automatic in anybody because we all have sin natures and we all have to deal with that power of sin. So... Love through communication. Now, what are the three things that he talks about that are, what do you say to each other? How do you go about talking to each other? Because has somebody ever ordered you around that didn't have authority to order you? Uh, how well does that work, usually? You know, it's interesting, even as a kid, we can pick up an order from somebody else. And then the first evaluation is, do they have the authority to do that? Whether you have the word in your vocabulary or not, it's just the way that it is, it is presented. So what we learn to do as Christians, we become trained in righteousness. We learn how to communicate in a better way with one another. One another's speech, love through communication. And when I start looking at this, and hopefully <laughs> I'm going to kill it. It was working just fine. <clears throat> well, you can read it along with me. I'll get it fixed here in just a second. All right, we're going to start this thing again. And there. And hopefully it's up on there. There we go. Believers are to encourage one another. Now, see, that should be really obvious, shouldn't it? And it involves helping them when they're spiritually down. That's what encouragement means. I love this word. We find it used in this way to encourage or comfort one another with the word alone In Romans 1.12, 1 Thessalonians 4.18, 5.11. They're, they're beautiful passage. Romans chapter 1, verses 11 and 12 says, For I long to see you in order that I might impart some spiritual gift to you, that you might be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith. Now, <clears throat> coming together, we're calling together, the word para kaleo, kaleo means to call, and para means alongside. So it is a great picture of calling someone alongside. Now, if you're going to encourage or comfort or 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 call them alongside, that means that you're not walking in front of them, right? It also means you're not behind them pushing them. It means that you're walking alongside of them, parakaleo. This particular word is translated to encourage. It's, to, it's translated comfort, counsel, or exhort in the New Testament. 
The meaning itself, call alongside, includes compassion, and it urges other people to trust God. So it says, how are you, how are you doing? Are you doing well enough that you can call someone alongside and walk alongside them? That's called encouraging one another. The passage in 1 Thessalonians 4.18, passage frequently read at a funeral service, uh, it, because that is the passage of the rapture. In one of these days, a trumpet will sound, we'll all be caught up, we'll meet him in the clouds of the sky. And then, after we fight over all the theology, Paul gives us the reason it's in there. He says, comfort one another with these words. Because if you have a loved one that's lost, that's a believer, that's what he's saying. The first century, Thessalonica, the, the, the letter was written about 50, 51 A.D., about 18, 20 years into the church age. It had gotten started and people that they loved were starting to die. Well, everybody thought Jesus was coming back right away. So Paul's writing this letter to say, no, he's not coming back right away. One of these days he is going to come back. But what about believers who have died in Christ? And he's saying, don't worry about it. Comfort one another with these words. Because one day we who are alive will be caught up together with those who have been raised back from the dead. So that is where the comfort comes together. 1 Thessalonians 4.18. That is to encourage one another. So it's the same word. Comfort and encourage is the same word. Call them alongside. Now, it doesn't mean you don't have any grief when a loved one dies. Obviously, it's, we should have an, an element of grief. But it doesn't mean that we just lay down and curl up in a ball and all we do is cry. It, why? Because a believer, we've got encouragement. One day, we're going to see them again. We're called to encourage one another. Hebrews 3, verses, uh, or 1 Thessalonians 5, 11, it says, Therefore, encourage one another... And build up one another just as you're also doing. That first part of 1 Thessalonians 5 is about the prophetic word. And one of these days he's going to come back again. He starts giving more information. There will be a massive peace movement in the last days. And several things are found in that passage. And he concludes the paragraph by saying, Therefore encourage one another just as you also are doing. Remember, that was the model church in Thessalonica. Hebrews 3, verse 12 to 14 says, Take care, brethren, lest there be in any of you an, un an evil, unbelieving heart in falling away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day. This is the writer of Hebrews writing to Jews primarily, and he says, What do you do? Encourage one another day after day. Now, were the Jews known for their encouragement? Or were they known for their grumbling? These, these people, they could grumble about anything. And that's part of the context of Hebrews 3 and 4. They went out in the desert and all they did was complain. They saw ten wondrous miracles of the Almighty. They saw the parting of the Red Sea, manna that came down out of heaven, uh, quail provided out of nowhere. They saw all these massive miracles, and all they did was complain. Kind of reminds me of an old eagle song. Get over it. But they never did. Mike knows that song. I don't know if you ever heard it or not, but it's... 
about people who complain, and it's get over it. Okay, get on the other side. Hebrews 10.25, I love this. It says, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. It's interesting that little phrase is left out of that verse when it's quoted. Pastors quote it. It says, not forsaking our own assembling together. Okay, and we should quote it because we're supposed to assemble together. But why do we come together? Encouraging one another. That is often left out. And then it says, all the more as you see the day drawing near. And we start fighting over the theology of what day they're talking about. Now the writer of Hebrews. And the whole point of assembly is encouraging one another. When we see one another that we, that we know or even that we don't know, it, it, it brings along a level of encouragement to us. Just like Paul said when he wrote the Romans, I want to come see you so you can encourage me and I can encourage you. A mutual calling alongside. Believers are to learn to use words that encourage others to join into the Christian walk. Calling alongside. Not demanding orders and pushing them along like sheep to a slaughter. But in, or not leading them from such a far distance that they can't see you. But calling alongside saying, let's walk this thing together. Let's encourage one another. Now, why, when it, whenever I, I see people and talk to people, oftentimes with different counseling situations, do I give them a list of these? Because that is so critical to a marriage, encouraging one another. It's so critical to a family, encouraging one another. You oftentimes in the nation anymore don't even see it in a nation, do you? Wouldn't it be nice to encourage people to do the right thing and know what the right thing is? That's calling alongside. See, if we're going to call them alongside and encourage them to do the right thing, that presumes we know what the right thing is. So we better be sure we've, we've, got, the, we've got the right principle down. Now, <clears throat> believers are to admonish one another. It's the one we like, isn't it? To admonish means to warn. It's a Greek word, nuthateo. And whenever we um, want to admonish one another, that's because we like to judge people. I hate to say that. We do. Um, we should have a uh, discerning viewpoint. No question about it. But to admonish one another... Romans 15, 14 is where this is found. And you have to, before you just take, admonish one another. Because I've been teaching this for a long time. One time I took it, and the next thing I know, I've got somebody it calling everybody in the church, admonishing them, because they didn't hear the whole part of this thing. Romans 15, 14 says, Concerning you, my brethren, I myself am, also, am, am convinced... That you yourselves are full of goodness. Okay? Paul said, before he gave them this, admonish one another, you're full of goodness and filled with knowledge and able to admonish one another. That tells us a couple of things, doesn't it? Have you ever had somebody that's led the conversation with, you know I love you? 
Uh, do they really? Are they just going to fix you somehow? Well, <clears throat> here is the full of goodness. Means goodness as defined by God, not by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You have to have the right idea of good. And then it says filled with knowledge. And if we're going to reach the point of admonishing someone, we need to have the data necessary to do that. It doesn't mean we go around behind the scenes, but if you're going to talk to someone, don't assume they're guilty to begin with. What it amounts to, talk, communicate. Say, this came to me. Now, how would this work in a family situation, even with kids? Because I, I know all of you are perfect parents and never made any mistake whatsoever with your kids or brought false charges against them. But, uh, your pastor doesn't share that virtue because over the course of time, I made some mistakes. I wrongly evaluated, wrongly made the decisions to that. And see, part of what you have to do is be humble enough to apologize and say, I, I misread this. I totally misread this. I made a mistake here. That's, that's part of admonishing one another, filled with all knowledge. When you get some information, you get enough data, enough information, you're filled with goodness, and then you can say, you shouldn't have done that. Okay? Because they know it's coming from an attitude of love. If it's coming from an attitude of loving one another to begin with, they're already going to know that. They're going to know whether or not you really love them or if you're just... Uh, <laughs> seem like out to get them. Some of this has to do with how we view God. Uh, I saw a thing 35 years ago probably that, that uh, our views of God, and one of the views of God was God the sheriff. A lot of times we grow up and we end up with our picture of God based on, on how we viewed our dad. You know, was he uh, detached? Then we view God as detached. Was he a sheriff? Looking, was he standing around the corner there? With the, with the gun drawn, ready for you to mess up so he can get you? Well, <clears throat> how, does, how does God deal with us? He has all knowledge, first of all, and he's filled with all goodness. And he is gracious. He is slow to anger. He is full of compassion. How many things have we heard about him? How he does things. That's what we're supposed to be to our kids. It doesn't mean we're not to discipline them. Obviously, we are. But we are to be full of goodness. Now, <clears throat> the principle is that believers are to first check their personal spiritual status, then be willing to warn others of approaching danger. New theteo. Theteo means to place. New on the front of it, N-O-U, means in the mind, to place in the mind. Now, you can't fix people. Hey, it's something we want to do. But whenever danger is approaching, we need to place it in the mind. What was John doing when he wrote the book of Revelation? You think maybe he was doing that? Blessed are those who read and hear the words of the book of this prophecy. And then he got into chapter 2 and chapter 3, the letters to the seven churches. And he starts giving them information. He says, I want to commend you. This is the Holy Spirit in inspiring him to do this, I can you. You have a. He says you you do this. You identified the false apostles, Ephesians, to the letter to the church at Ephesus. You identified them, but I have this against you. Remember that 
he established uh, the relationship. I have you this against you. You left your first love. You left your first love. If you don't get that fixed, the Lord says, I'm going to come and take your lampstand out of its place. That's what I'm going to do. So he gave them a warning. That is admonishing one another. But first it was established that he loved them. See, so this is the way we're supposed to do it. It's the example. We are to admonish one another, but if we're getting ready to fix somebody, then we better check ourselves first. Look in the mirror first. Are we full of goodness, and do we have enough knowledge to make the proper evaluation? The third thing is believers are to confess their sins to one another. And you talk about opening up a Pandora's box if you misunderstand this one. This one is a, is a disaster ready to happen if you're not careful. Now this involves apologies to the people personally wronged to bring peace to injured relationships. It's found in James 5.16. Uh, I've seen, I've seen uh, sadly I know of a, of a church uh, west of the Mississippi, that's as close as I'll get to identifying it for you. And the pastor read this verse. He was a young pastor. And he started to, he said, we're going to get together and confess our sins to one another so we can be a, a, a first century church again. And he led with the fact that he was having an affair. And then he wondered why the church fell apart. Uh, his wife didn't even know it till the meeting. And, and I can't even label that a rookie mistake. I mean, that, that... Now, confessing your sins to one another, you have to realize in the context of James, in chapter 5, it starts off with talking about the last days, and then it starts moving into relationships. Sins are considered as spiritual sickness. This is when, call for the elders of the church, let them lay hands upon the individual involved, and they shall be healed. Now, that's stated as a promise, but physical healing does not always come. Okay? That verse is not promising physical healing. The problem is a spiritual issue. And so, that laying on of the hands by the elders of the church the, the physical problem might be healed, but the spiritual problem is the one they're after. And so that spiritual problem, it's uh, to be able to admit in the context to that confession of sins to one another is a confession of wronging the church. The individual had wronged the church and the, the elders were there and ready to forgive. They were there to pray for the person who was sick, but it was all about a spiritual sickness because the way that's stated is a promise and God does not always heal physically. Why? Because he is sovereign. Sometimes he wants us to go through the problems. Like the Apostle Paul, for example. Paul went through the problem of the thorn in the flesh. He said, I prayed three times he would take it from me. And he said, no, 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 no. Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm not going to take this from you. I'm not going to do it. You need this. Paul had a problem with arrogance. And every time he would make an arrogant statement or puff up the thorn in the flesh would jab him, which they, we argue over it, but whatever it was, whether it's a demon or not, it got Paul's attention. 
and it was for his benefit. So removal of all physical problems are not always for our benefit. Sometimes they're there for a reason. So when the elders go in James 5, these are speech or actions that have harmed other people. And they're designed to reestablish peace. Now, I don't know if you've ever been the object of sins of the tongue or false accusations or any of those other things. And yeah, it would certainly be nice to have a, an apology that, that is there. And sometimes you get it and sometimes you don't. If you don't get it, you still should forgive. Don't let them rule your life. Don't become a slave to them. You still should forgive. But they need to get their life right and their life corrected. Now, it's wise, obviously, to accompany this with prayer because that's also found in this verse. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. And he mentions Elijah. So, <clears throat> believers are to be humble enough to admit when they've wronged somebody. Humble enough to admit it. Be able to stand there and say, I made a mistake. I apologize for it. Um, and at least own up to it. Because that is a step of producing peace. Didn't the Lord say, blessed are the peacemakers, for theirs is the kingdom of God? I mean, isn't that a virtue that we're to have in our life? To be willing to admit that we've made a mistake and hurt somebody or wronged somebody. And I know some people that they... they <laughs> they say, well, just they need to deal with it. You know, they're right. But what it does show is the total lack of compassion on the part of the one that did the wrong. Now, confess our sins to one another. Uh, so we're not going to have a confession party here. That's uh, if you've wronged somebody, take care of that yourself privately. That's the way that it should be done. And uh, don't go looking for support by spreading a lot of rumors. That's not a good idea to, to do that. One another actions. We've looked at the thoughts. That was the first part of the um, the first part of this particular study of one another. Now we've looked at the speech, and next thing we're going to look at are actions. These are the things that really come out. Now, you'll notice that attitude, speech, and actions, they all kind of overlap. That's that they're not supposed to be harsh divisions that are in this thing because if you have a, uh, an attitude or speech such as uh, in calling someone alongside, encourage them, encouraging them, there's a lot of different ways to do that. Sometimes they involve actions that can overlap into cards. They've got some pretty nice greeting cards anymore or even a phone call or even an email if you can get it worded right so they can't be misunderstood. But at least get, get something out to call alongside. Now we're supposed to build up one another. This is edification. That's what the word edification means. It comes from oikodemeo, the Greek word. Oikos is a house. Demeo is a dwelling. And it means just build people up. And it involves an encouragement, an instruction to other people. Now we find this used two places. Romans 14, 19 says, So then, 
Let us pursue the things that make for peace and the building up of one another. Now, we, we need to encourage one another, build up one another. If somebody's messed up, uh, they need to be built up. Not in their sins, but how to get away from the sins. 5.11, 1 Thessalonians, we just read it. Encourage one another and build up one another just as you are doing. So the model church were coming together. They were encouraging one another to do what? To battle the persecution that was coming upon the church. Hey, we need to keep meeting together. We need to keep seeing each other. We need to stay in touch. And we need to build one another up. Because sometimes along the way, all of our hands are going to be feeble and our knees are going to be weak. Somewhere along the way. No matter who we are, how strong we think we are, we're going to need a little bit of help. So it says that you have a person, that it, you, you have people that can come together and they can, they can help. They can, the, the picture is literally picking someone up off the ground and then holding them there, teaching them, teaching them how to observe all that Jesus commanded us. It involves refraining to build up uh, one another Refraining from placing non-essential stumbling blocks in front of people. But mutually building a spiritual sobriety and alertness. Biblically, Jesus is called a stumbling block. But if they trip over him, it's their, their problem. So we're supposed, to, we're supposed to edify people. Try to keep them from stumbling. Point out danger when we see it approaching. See, when the prince of the power of the air goes to work trying to convince you you're not responsible for your decisions, somebody needs to point out, yes, you are. Peter says, if you're going to suffer, let it be for doing righteous works. Because Christians are going to suffer for doing righteous works. Uh, and if you're going to suffer, let it, not be un, uh, let it be unjustly, but not justly. Don't do things that are violations of the law, don't do things that get you in trouble, and then uh, suffer as a result of it. Come back out of it. Because believers are to seek to edify others in their Christian walk. Try to build up other people in their Christian walk. That's what we want to do. Now, one of the things that it's kind of hard to do is call them on the phone and say, I just want to edify you today. You, you, <laughs> you put people on the defensive. You know, a great way to edify people, be their friend. You know, offer to help if you can, however you can. To, to, to build people up. They, they might, if they open up to you, sometimes, if you have the gift of mercy, you're going to find people open up to you with stories you did not want to hear. It's just like the Holy Spirit connects the dots. On, on these things and people come to you and the next thing you know they're giving you their life story and you're going I don't have the time for this and I don't want to know it okay but it's a gift if that's your gift that's what you're going to find and so obviously the Lord brought them to you <laughs> for a reason so don't be a Jonah and head for head the other direction Okay, he brought, he brought them there. We're called to edify other people. So that means that you listen to what they have to say. I, I think my wife has the gift of listening. I've yet to find that anywhere in the Bible. 
is a spiritual gift, the spiritual gift of listening. But more than one time, people have called her on the phone and talked for an hour or two. And, and I could tell what was going on because Helen goes, oh, yeah, I understand. And when they leave, they say, you have been such an encouragement to me. <laughs> and Bill, she didn't say anything. <laughs> what she did was listen. And people poured themselves out and they started feeling better. But what you want to do with edification is build them up in the truth. You don't want to build them up in a lie. That's not edifying at all. Because that will crash. We're to try and edify other people in the Christian walk. Say, yeah, it is important to study your Bible. Yes, it is important to pray. Because the distractions, the number of distractions today are in unprecedented levels. So, should we pray for one another? That's coming up before long. Should we pray for one another? Quite obviously. Now, <clears throat> believers are to fellowship with one another. And that involves a mutual walking in the light. 1 John 1, 7. A lot of us know 1 John 1, 9, inside and out, if we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Sometimes people were taught that to the exclusion of verse 7. Now, verse 7 says, if we walk in the light. That's a third-class condition in the Greek. <clears throat> so maybe we will, maybe we won't. Just like this, if we confess our sins, is a third-class condition. Maybe we will, maybe we won't. But if we walk in the light, okay, if we will, and we do. If we walk in the light, as he, capital H, is in the light. That means we are walking the path that the Lord has walked and we are following in his footsteps. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, <clears throat> then we have fellowship with one another. A lay loan. A fellowship with one another. Huh. Now some think that that is fellowship with God. If we walk in the light as Jesus is in the light, we have fellowship with God. And yet, that's not what the word means. The inherent meaning of the word alone means one another of the same kind. And I can tell you real fast, I'm not God. So it's talking about one another of the same kind, you and I. It's talking about this horizontal fellowship. Then we have fellowship with one another. <clears throat> and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Just like in verse 8 says, if we say we have no sin, we're a liar and the truth is not in us. And then verse 9, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What we should be doing as Christians is walking in the light, following the Lord Jesus, having fellowship with one another. Now, have you ever found a perfect Christian? I haven't. I've been looking for them for a long time. Perfect Christian. Sometimes they seem perfect on the outside, and then turns out they're not perfect on the inside. But <clears throat> what, why does he call us to function together? Why did the Lord call the disciples? Those 12 guys that were such divergent people with such different Viewpoints, personalities, James and John, the sons of thunder, Peter, Mr. Big Mouth, 
Okay? You, could, you can track these pretty easily uh, through Scripture. Andrew, every time you saw Andrew, he's bringing somebody to meet the Lord. He's one of these really great, nice fellowshipper people. But some of the other ones are just a little bit weird. Simon the Zealot. Yeah, that, well, the Zealot, that brings a whole other batch of what is a Zealot, and you get an idea kind of what he's like. But, but here is, why did the Lord put them together? And then why did he say, if you, you, Upper Room Discourse, 11 of them there, Jude, Judas gone, will learn how to love one another. All men will know you are my disciples because you have this kind of love for one another. Huh. That was the craziest bunch of guys ever put together. And he said, if you'll do that, then all will know you're my disciples. You belong to me. Because that'll be supernatural. That'll be a supernatural transformation if you can learn how to get along with one another. Because what had they done for three and a half years? Fought with each other over who was the greatest. Remember those little phrases? They were walking along talking about who was the greatest. And they all had their own argument system, I'm sure, that were trying to convince at least themselves that they were the greatest of the disciples. The week of the cross, he said, the greatest among you will be the servant of all. Then he washed their feet. And he said, so do it to one another. It's walking alongside one another because Christians will bring about, other Christians will cause friction. It's just part of it as iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another. Pastors learn that. Pastors argue. Why do they argue? Partly because they have a sin nature. Okay? The other part is to sharpen one another. Polish them off. Figure out how do you take this rough stone and knock it off so it becomes, knocks all the rough edges off of it. And the only way you do that is through communication. And when people stop communicating, then growth stops happening. It's a mutual walking in the light. It's important to meet with other believers who are spiritually advancing. It's important to do that. Because one thing about it, you're not, you're not going to find a perfect church. Somebody said if you find a perfect church, leave it alone so you don't mess it up. But that's, that's an old thing that we run into. But guess what? We have a church made up of imperfect people. What else is made up of imperfect people? Marriages. Families, nations. What are we supposed to learn to do? If we all follow Christ, we'll all get closer together. Can't do anything but. Meet with other believers who are spiritually advancing and have conversations, be able to talk about different things. We're supposed to be devoted to one another. To develop a tender affection for each other that includes commitment to the well-being of other people. Romans 12.10 Be devoted to one another in brotherly love and give preference to one another in honor. Now, the word philistorgos is the word that is used here and when it's talking about devotion. 
a devotion to one another. A lay loan is the word that is used there. Philos is a word that means a friend of. Storgos is a natural tender affection. Be a friend of that. that. That means we learn to love other members of the family of God without hypocrisy. Uh-huh. Really see the real deal. Not just false faces, not just putting on airs, not just like the hypocrites did. You know, they loved one another, but they didn't. Really, because they were all in competition for who would be the greatest among them and within the, the, the Pharisees. So the believers are to seek to be as close to other members in the body of Christ as they are their own family. And we should have this tender affection, kind-hearted affection, even within our own family. But there needs to be other members of the body of Christ that we feel the same way toward. As, as we grow spiritually, I think, that's what happens. But, you know, you're going to have a poster child. I mentioned this before. When you hear love one another, be devoted to one another, you're going to have a mental image come up and say, that's never going to happen with that person. But one day, if you keep growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, one day you're going to see that person in a different, in a different light. You're going to start to see them exactly as Christ sees them. And how's that? Sometimes it's sinners in need of a Savior is how he sees them. But you look with compassion upon them. They need help. And that's, that's not going to be an easy thing. You know, the Lord doesn't call us to... What he says is easy to say. It's not easy to do. He calls us to a full, complete life. But it is a life that is found only in him. We have believers are to honor one another. This means to recognize the value that other, others have before God. And give preference to their needs over others. Romans 12.10 says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Now, <clears throat> to honor one another means that we are to uh, just show respect for them. Uh, if they're a believer, they're due respect. They may not have earned any respect, but the Lord has bought and paid for their sins just like he did for mine. And we can't, we can't forget that. We can't forget that. Believers should recognize the value God has placed on other members of the human race. How many people did he make in his own image? All of us. All humans. Didn't make the animals that way. But he made us that way. In the image of God. Now, <clears throat> we're not to malign. There's other passages go with this about don't, don't take the tongue and set on fire the forest and malign others who are made in the image of God. We have to Watch out. But to honor one another. To show a lot of grace to. We've got one coming up. I've run out of time. Um, the, uh, the next one here. Let's just do this before we go. Believers are to greet one another with a holy kiss. We'll be sure and talk about that one. Before we get out of here. This refers to acknowledgement of the presence of a person in a culturally acceptable manner. That appreciates their value to God. 
if you want to mess with somebody that's a legalist and they start thinking they've got it all right and you've got it all wrong, say, you didn't kiss me when I showed up. Greet one another with a holy kiss. That'll get lawsuits brought on you now in this country. When you go to different places like Russia, you better be ready to greet other believers with a holy kiss. They kiss each on each cheek. That's what they do. And to turn away from that, not acceptable. Not a good thing to disrespect them. But to greet one another with a holy kiss, that was first century. And that meant that you do what is appropriate within the, within the culture that you find yourself in. It, it uses the word aspazomai. And I absolutely love this word because aspazomai doesn't mean just necessarily, hi, how you doing? Aspazomai means to salute. That's right at the heart of its, its meaning, to salute. You recognize their value. You salute them in a culturally acceptable form. Quite frequently for, for men, it's handshake in a lot of cultures of the world. Uh, with the COVID thing, bumping elbows, bumping fists, bumping whatever, it was culturally acceptable to do that. But the root meaning goes up here to the, to the at right attitude before the right action. And you do that because there's a value to them. And you see it. So you show a respect for one another. Don't disrespect anybody that's there. Greet one another in a culturally acceptable format. And so that, that's a, the simple explanation of greet one another with a holy kiss in case you were worried about not fulfilling a biblical command somewhere. That's what is at the heart of that. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for... All you have done, thank you for these principles. Father, I pray that we'll remember them. And Father, I pray we'll go back through them. They'll become a part of us. And that they will be able to, because uh, we know they will, that they'll guide our life and help in our relationships and help us grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For we ask it in his name, amen.